Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. This is the host, Alex Bond. Um, We've got an exciting announcement to make. Um, Off the back of the podcast, we're exposed to many issues that are kind of topical or current, um, and some become really pervasive. And sometimes we are in the position to do something about it in our role as a recruitment business that specializes in insurtech. And one of those issues has been the lack of female leadership in insurance technology businesses. It's nothing new. It's nothing surprising. Um, We can see that the numbers are just simply not representative in the traditional insurance industry. But in a nascent industry, in in a burgeoning and growing industry, in an industry that's so exciting, it's a little bit disappointing to see that the numbers continue to not stack up. There are simply not enough female leaders in the insurance technology business. So what can we do about that? Well, look, there's no time for me to have a savior complex, but what I can do is build networks and what I can do is build platforms. And so one of those platforms we've decided to kind of launch is the flight series, the female leaders in insurance technology event series. This will be a series of events that will start in 2022. They will involve in-person events, they involve online events to encapsulate the global audience, and they are going to include some specific mentoring opportunities. So I'm excited to announce that the first of those is happening on 13th of January. That will be a London in-person event, it'll be a ticketed event, um, and we get a fantastic panel of female speakers to talk about attracting talent to InsureTech. So if you're interested in InsureTech, if you're interested in discussing opportunities in InsureTech, we'd love to see you there. Please check out the FinPro website, www.wearefinpro.com, for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I am your host, Alex Bond. I'm very lucky to be joined by Richard King from Ticker. Uh, good morning, Richard. How are you doing? Morning, Alex. Very well. Good to see you. Good. Thank you. Um, I always start with the morning ruse because we release it in the morning, but I'm, we- I'm well aware it's the afternoon uh, in case you think I'm losing my marbles. Um, but look, Richard, you and I know each other and, and obviously I know the Ticker business, um, but it'd be really helpful if you could give us a um, that, that well-rehearsed probably investment round uh, elevator pitch of what Ticker does and, and who the business is. Done it a few times. Um, Ticker's been live for just over two and a half years. We're a, we're a motor insurer, um, but we're all about connected motor, which means we're all about uh, telematics. Um, we are an insure tech. Um, you know, and whilst we are a motor insurer, I would say lift up the lid and we're a, we're a data company. Um, we've got two products in the market at the moment. We have a product which, um, which is for novice drivers, drivers who've been on the road for less than five years. And we have a product for van drivers. Growth of the, the gig economy, one in 10 new vehicles, one in 10 new vehicles on the road is a van and we're looking to serve that market. So what we've done is we've built an ecosystem and what we do is we, we layer on top of that ecosystem our, our niche offerings. Mm-hmm. So as I said, the, there are two that are live today. 
There are two more which are about to go live, one for low mileage drivers, a paper mile offering, and then we have a, an offering for convicted, convicted drivers, those who find it difficult to get back into the system having lost their license or um, you know, been convicted of driving offences. And then next year, we have a number of other propositions in the pipeline. We have an EV offering, electric vehicles. We have an offering for people who are new to the UK, um, often treated like a brand new driver, even though they might have had a history of being on the road for 20 years and a clean license. Mm -hmm. And then we'll also have an offering for older drivers, drivers over, over the age uh, of 70. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, the well-practiced pitch is always uh, always really welcome. Um, I, it's funny because I don't, I don't, even though my business is very simple, I don't think I could summarise it as quickly as people do. I need to, I need to get much more. I've, I've got better at it over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about your serial founder status, but I'll, I'll get to that in, in, a, in a bit. So, there's a couple of things I wanted to pick up on that. You know, you said you're a data company. Um, yeah, it's interesting with insure techs. Uh, would you describe yourself as, as as an insure tech or or an insurer um, that's heavily tech enabled, um, or or is or is there no difference? And I'm I'm kind of picking on a point which doesn't exist. I think there's a thin line between the two descriptions. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to have sustainable growth and profitability, then you've got to get the the core fundamentals of insurance right. So yeah. underwriting, claims, compliance, um, having a forensic focus on loss ratio from day one. But the, the success of the insure techs, whether you want to call them disruptors or enablers, is really down to data. Mm -hmm. The data that we collect and, and how we use that data at every stage along the, the, the customer journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in previous years or decades, your, your underwriters, your pricing analysts were such important people. Of course, they are still today. Let's not forget that they are absolutely still fundamental. But the people that really are beginning to drive the success of the business are your data scientists. Yeah. Um, because if you're looking to the future and how you're going to continue to get top line growth, but but with an excellent loss ratio performance, then machine learning and, and AI play a, a very key key part um, of that growth and that success. Mm. So I want to talk about the tech then. So we're talking about all these data points that we pick up, data science. So you, um, is there a sort of, I don't know what you would call it, a, a tag or thing that you put, you get people to put in their cars or do you go off the phone or what's the kind of practical um, steps for it? I think so, you know, as I was saying a second ago, we're all about we're about bringing connected motor to a much wider market. Mm -hmm. um, but we're doing it by providing niche offerings. So you, you can't go to market with a one product fits all because yeah. the data that you collect from a novice driver or the feedback that you give to a novice driver might be very, very different to to the information that you give, say someone like a van driver, because typically a van driver drives for a living. Yeah. Teenager is getting on the road um, for the first time. So I think the key thing is that you, you've got to bear in mind that you're going, we're going for a wide footprint. We're doing it with niche offerings. And in that scenario, we don't really mind how we collect the data. Right. First and foremost, you know, we have a data pool. 
or a data lake and it's filling up all the time. We have algorithms which are designed for the type of person that you are, whether it's a low mileage, whether it's a convicted driver, a van driver, novice driver, etc. How you then collect the data or, or where the data comes from, to a degree, we, we don't mind. So whether you're collecting data from a box, um, whether you're collecting data from an OBD device, mm -hmm. or whether you're collecting data directly from the vehicle, the most important thing is that you are collecting high quality data mm -hmm. um, that can be used both in terms of analyzing behavior, um, seeing how, how far, the, you know, uh, how many miles a vehicle is being driven, or if the vehicle is then involved in, in a crash, because in that situation, you want real forensic level of data to understand the, the immediate events leading up to the crash, the crash itself, and then the immediate event straight after. Straight yeah. after. So, you know, it, to, you know, to give an example, when it's novice drivers and, and van drivers, um, we have developed, we're not a telematic manufacturer, let's make that absolutely clear. Mm -hmm. but we do understand a lot about telematics and connected motor. So we've had a device developed for us, which is about the size of a, of a yo-yo. It sticks to the windscreen, it's self-installable. This is a device that collects all the data that we need. It has a, a self-powering battery in there. Um, and what we do is we simply use your mobile phone. In this that instance, as a transport mechanism to collect the data from the box, and then that feed that to our, um, you know, to, to our um, to our servers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all of that stuff is um, coming into what I'm trying to get to is all of that is kind of from the point of in insurance. So you get data of these individuals that are driving. Um, and all of this stuff leads towards kind of better underwriting, one would assume, and, and better underwriting information. Um, but in terms of kind of the customer, um, other than just getting a price, um, yeah, motor's an incredibly competitive marketplace. Um, how does that kind of benefit the customer outside of kind of just, just maybe a better price or more appropriate price, or even accessibility to insurance for some people that are harder to kind of insure in traditional market? I think ultimately you, you have to remind why is the customer accepting to have the driving monitored is because they're going to get a cheaper price. You can't, you can't avoid right. the issue. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to give that better price. You're trying to increase your, um, your volume quarter on quarter, but you're doing it in a manner where even though you are one of the most competitive prices uh, in the market, you've also got an excellent loss ratio performance. And of course, for us, I would say typically the holy grail is to get loss ratio below 60% and, and, and even below 55% if you can achieve that. And we're on target to achieve that in our first three years of being live, which is typically quite unheard of with, uh, with most motor insurers, particularly insure techs who are growing, who are, who are growing, uh, growing volume. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, the, the customer is going to choose you because you are you are cheaper. But then what you're achieving with connected motor is you are achieving much more engagement than you would ever have with, with traditional insurance. So if you think about traditional insurance, you buy the policy, and then maybe at the end of the term, you may or may not renew the policy. The only other engagement you would have with the insurer is if there was, unfortunately, a, a crash and, and a claim. What you're doing with connected motor is you are building up um, more of a, a two-way engagement with, with the customer. So, for example, um, if it's a behavior-based product, you're giving them feedback once a week on how they're driving. 
um, and you're giving them, you know, if, if they're driving too fast, you're giving them encouragement to, to, to drive in a, in a safer manner. If they are driving well, then you're encouraging them with good feedback. And of course, you're going to reward them with uh, an even more attractive uh, renewal price. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a if, if it's if it's a mileage based customer um, who are literally, you know, someone someone who drives less than four or five thousand miles a year. Uh, and of course, there's going to be so many more of them in this day and age post pandemic and more remote ho- uh, remote working home working you're you're seeing uh you know a number of people who don't want to pay that upfront you know larger bill for insurance they're going to pay a smaller upfront bill and they're literally going to pay per mile in that situation they want to be able to go to the app and they want to see that the data is accurate they want to see that where were you know a list of the journeys that i've had uh, and and where was the start point and when where was the end point so you know they're going to check that in the early days of the policy because they're just going to want to know that you're ensuring that you know you're, they're, they're, they're paying per month based on how they're driving. They're going to want to ensure that you know the quality of the data is very good. Yeah, yeah. I was speaking to an insurer tech yesterday that they were saying that um, they got it's a similar offering, but for mainland Europe. Uh, um, and uh, what they had, they were they were getting customers through these comparison sites, and the first thing was they were getting a phone call just to check there was actually a human being on 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 the end of the phone because they were like the price is good but we theirs was a branding issue they were like no one's ever heard of us so they just wanted to check there was going to be someone there so if they made a claim then it was going to be a you know a real thing um and and that's where things like Trustpilot and fifo become so critical to companies like yes of course that there are you know ticker is not a household name Yet when they go and people can get the price and we're appearing top of screen so frequently, you know, there is going to be that feeling of this is, is this a bit, is this, is this right? Is this true? Is this too good to be true? So that's where your customer feedback and your, you know, your shop window of, of, of Trustpilot becomes absolutely vital to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic that we've, we've not, yes, yeah, sort of modern business dilemma, isn't it? Having to worry about not just the business but you know the 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 kind of the ways people can feedback and being aware of Trustpilot reviews google reviews all of those sorts of things it's a whole kind of function that that just didn't exist i don't know what 10 decade ago i would say um i wanted to ask you about we touched on it there sort of lockdown i mean you launched at a pretty tricky time um did you approaching that launch time did was there any consideration of changing strategy as a result of what happened did you have to change strategy um you know how did it impact you and 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 how did you kind of resolve through it um no question it was a hiccup (laughs) because um um you know startup is hard enough uh within 12 months to be entering a, a pandemic was um let's say not the best timing we were fine we we'd we'd raised an awful lot of money at our seed stage. Um, you know, if you've been here before, and I have been here before, you know, the one thing you always teach yourself is raise more than you think you need. And we had raised quite a lot of money at the seed stage. Um, we'd seen that volumes had picked up very quickly because, um, as you indicated at the beginning, this is not the first time I've done this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd, we started getting traction very early on in the business. Um, what we then did was because we had that traction, um, you know, right in the heart of the um, the, the pandemic, we uh, we went into our Series A. Now, fortunate enough that there was enough that there'd been enough uh, traction, and we were able to to show enough traction across the whole business 
that we then had very good support for our Series A with, with our existing VC um, uh, maintaining their position and and a new VC uh, coming on board as well. So yeah, we were. I wouldn't say we sailed through it, but we were certainly one of the uh, one of the the luckier ones. It then meant that what we could actually focus our attention on were the people, the people within the business, mm-hmm. and making sure that we looked after them. And and of course, like all businesses, it created new ways of working, or it accelerated new ways of working that were probably going to happen anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree. It's kind of it's just brought the inevitable conclusion of how we work forward a little bit. Um, so, um, just so going back to the kind of business and the setup, you set up as an MGA, um, uh, one, one imagines. Um, is there the full stack ambition? Would that be the, the, the longer term goal? Um, you know, or, or well, I suppose that's a very yeah. We'll start with that. <laughs> I won't extrapolate we, now. We, we um, yes, we are an MGA, and we are, yes, of course, we are building out our full stack. Um, and yes, of course, um, now that we're seeing that we're getting the the underwriting results that we set up, we set ourselves as I said a, sec, a second ago. We set ourselves a very aggressive target sure. to be producing underwriting profits within the first three years. We're on target to do that. Um, and so what we're now looking at is um, that we're going to start building in some of our own capacity um, uh, w- within that stack. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, you, you look at the um, you look at the trends across it, all insure techs. Um, it's it's what they're doing. I think, you know, the, the most important thing is that, um, you know, not unusually, all of the expertise sits within the business. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've had. I've owned uh, a connected uh, motor insurer or created one in the past, and we weren't in control of the capacity. We were relying on a a panel of underwriters. And whatever you were learning about the data was never ultimately feeding down to your, the underwriters or pricing analysts within within your partners. So Mm. it was absolutely essential from day one that pricing expertise sat within the business you know, I look at it now, we've, we've only been live for, as I said, just uh, two and a half years. We have probably over 20 pricing experts that sit within the business, yeah. pricing analysts and, and data scientists. And, yeah, they are, they are amongst the most valuable people in the business um, mm-hmm. that we can, everything that we are learning about the data is constantly being used as a, as a, as a constant feedback loop mm-hmm. uh, into pricing, underwriting, claims at you know every aspect of the business and and that's why these you know these insure techs are proving to be so successful yeah although it's interesting because i definitely think you're 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 not alone but there, there's there's a tendency to uh, away from the business fundamentals of some of these things in that you know um it's almost um I made a bad joke last night with an insure tech saying that where they were going wrong was that they were trying to make underwriting profit. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> having seen what we've seen in the news lately, I mean, I don't know if that's the objective anymore. I think it's just, um, do, you, do you, I mean, joking aside, do you think that comes from being one, someone that's been in the industry for a long time, but also kind of a serial founder? Um, or is it just, it's particularly in the UK, we focus on really good fundamentals. Let's get the insure tech up and running and let's get it making money and then can go for the valuations where, where there's a different kind of emphasis in the US where they go for size and scale and then almost kind of 
go for that market capture and then try and make money out of it secondly so it sort of seems to be two different attitudes towards it it's um alex you're right you're saying when you when you've been here before i mean i've, I've been in and around motor insurance for probably um 30 years now mm. um, and of course you know when you when you've been in it for that long you you witness all the trends that tend to happen within the industry um and then you are more prepared for understanding uh, and again i said a few moments ago about how do you establish something that is ultimately going to have long-term sustainable profitability um so you you have to um you have to get the fund you you have to pay a lot of importance to the the what i call the insurance traditions of underwriting compliance and claims and and having that forensic focus on loss ratio from day one and combine them with the the digital exuberance um, that will exist in the business and i think one of the things that we i don't think we're, we're alone in having done this but one of the things that we did that was so important to us was how we structured the board mm. um, for how you grow a digital enabler or disruptor so if you look at our board today yes of course there is the entrepreneurial exuberance that you expect to see in a business like this mm -hmm. and of course you've got the the, the vcs who, who sit on the board as well but what we've done is we've combined that with um i'm putting it bluntly combined it with the gray hairs so we we've, we've got a couple of people on our board who have been in and around motor insurance for decades. In the case of two of our non-execs, Steve Broughton and Adrian Brown, they have served as CEOs of some of the biggest general insurers across Europe. Mm -hmm. So, and I think I think having that that juxtaposition of the digital expertise, the insure tech expertise, and that exuberance to go and you know win all the you know to have that high level of growth, but then combine it with some individuals who have seen every possible trend in the last few decades, um, I think that's, in our case, has served us very, very well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we had um, uh, Adam Blumenkrantz on from uh, NFP Ventures and we were talking about good teams. And, you know, one of the things we, we both, you know, Adam and I bonded over this was the frustration of, you got a bit boring hearing this insurance is broken and, you know, people don't know anything and you're going well they obviously do you know and and and, and the absurdity but it's it, it's 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 an it's using tech to enable us to do it better and and, and adding value but then embracing the knowledge and skill set of of a really high you know successful team that have been there seen it done it over you know decades but, um but don't get me wrong i i think it's essential that you have people coming into the industry from outside of the industry and that they have these objectives to knock down walls and and break through the red tape um i was that person 15 20 years ago mm -hmm. um, and i always remember someone subsequently saying to me I, i'd sat in front of a, a major ceo of one of the biggest insurers in the uk and i told him about you know the things that we were going to do and the ambitions that we had and and he many years later he said he said you said so many naive things in that presentation that day. He said, but the point was that there was also a lot of good things that you were bringing that you were bringing. And he said that's why we we put aside the naive comments. We thought, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, lost <laughs> for a reason. He said, but because you were bringing just 
fresh energy into the business. And yeah, a lot of things that you want that we wanted to achieve with that previous business, we did. Mm. So yeah, I, I I massively embrace the 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 people coming into the industry with with this fresh energy and these and these ideas. They're not going to achieve all of them. You know, insurance has changed very gradually over a lot over, over a long period of time for a reason. You know, it can be quite at its fundamentals, it can be quite difficult. Um, but but yeah, you need you need the fresh energy. I love it. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. And, and and the whole it's something about just insurance needs to not be precious and and occasionally <laughs> um you know some of the kind of the the, the comments need to be more measured but the, the, it's the melting pot of the experience and the new ideas and the new energy that we that, that we need um i wanted to um talk to you about um abakai there's announced partnership um wanted to kind of understand you know why why it made sense as a partnership and then just talk more broadly on the importance of partnerships in in your environment and what makes a good one for you yeah, I mean, we um, so we've been building up ticker, we've been building up our MGA, and we've been building high levels of pricing sophistication, um, and we're, we're we're at the early stages of of machine learning and and AI. Um, I then read the press release about Abakai that came from nowhere, of course, um, led by Mark Wilson, ex Aviva, and and his his co-founder J- Jamie Hay. I mean, both of them very very impressive people with a terrific um, track record of success um when you look at something like that you think oh well, i'm either going to compete with them and that's going to be a battle or actually could we deliver a greater sh- level of shareholder return if we worked together yeah. and that's when when we met with uh, uh with jamie and then mark um there was a lot of common ground um and and we decided to to, to work with each other um, they're going to be um, providing capacity um, to us. I think they're also going to be adding to our, our pricing excellence. Um, and you know, as I've said on a few occasions, we're going to measure our success in the future because or one of the ways that we're going to measure our success is because our data scientists are running around the office with a big smile on their face. Yeah. Because, because machine learning and AI are having such a big impact on the uh, successful growth of our businesses. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so that that brings me on smiles on faces of the, of the employees. I, I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about you've been writing some interesting stuff about work life balance um, and you know things that are kind of related to the employee the employee experience of your team. Um, but I wanted to ask you if you before I do that, do you think do you live those values because? You know, you're a serial founder, um, yeah, sort of serial glutton for punishment. Um, but then you, you seem to be, you know, you and I have engaged a few times and, and always seem fairly relaxed. I don't know whether you're just doing a really good impression of being like, you know, calm and in control or, you know, is that something that is that just is that is that your natural style? Is it something because you've been here before that you're kind of a bit more comfortable? Um, are you taking those work-life balance kind of um, writings to heart yourself? Do you think? Um, I think if you were to go back to the earlier part of my career, and yeah, you're, I, I've been very lucky. I've, I've had three very successful, sorry, two very successful X6, and this one is definitely going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to go right back to when I started being in a sort of a, a C-suite position, which was in my 
late 20s, um, yeah, I would, I would often go to DEFCON 5 a bit too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as you mature and you become more and more comfortable in your own skin, and you also then begin to learn that you can actually get the most out of people by not making them um, feeling, not, I would say, I'd never ever made anyone feel intimidated, but people might feel that they might have been treading on eggshells around me. No, I mean, my, my, own, my own style, my own persona has, has evolved dramatically. Um, I think does with anyone with a bit of, but anyway, I'm not that old, you know, <laughs> I'm in my early fifties. Let's just get, get this right. But uh, um, yeah, I think, I think I definitely, I think with Ticker, I've, I've had the, the, the opportunity to, to sit back and with this one, not only absolutely focus on the successful growth of the business and delivering a shareholder return, but um, I think, I think I've used this one also as an opportunity to focus on people, their development, the culture and the vibe more so than I've ever done with any other business. I also think it's, it's you're, you're in a day and age where you have to, you have to attract the best people in the market. It's a given that you have to create a very good culture and environment to work in. You've got to create a good work-life balance. But I also think that the, whilst the pandemic and and all, us all having to, all businesses having to immediately remote work um, gave challenges, it, it also accelerated opportunities, no question about it. And, it. and it made, you know, every good business just ended up focusing. So, you know, most good businesses focus on people. You just ended up focusing even more on the people. Um, and there, there, you know, there are a number of things that we, that, that we did which have proved to be really, really successful. What what did you implement? And 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 yeah, I'm intrigued about that because I think I think the employee experience is something that it's quite hard for startups because there's that balance between, you know, you are a bit stretched, resources are a bit thinner, you might have to wear multiple hats. That's quite a good, you know, but I think the benefit of you being a multiple founder or and and having successful exits is also kind of an understanding that. To, to, to some of your team, it, it's still a job. You know, they're, they're never going to care about it as much as the founding team or the people that own the business. Um, so, so do you think you've got a bit more of a balanced view of what's the expectations of the team? Is, is, is that something that's changed? Um, um, well, why don't I give you some real examples uh, <laughs> of, of what we did? Um, what I thought was important was the, the minute the whole world had to go into to remote working, you lost that ability for people to just physically see each other every morning. And, you know, the sort of things people would get in, they're going to the kitchen to get their, you know, their, their morning coffee. So I thought, what well, we'll start doing a daily call every single morning. We do it at 9.30. I thought it would last for six weeks until we were out of the pandemic uh, or, the, or the lockdowns. And here we are two years later that I still do this call every single morning. And what we do is we come together, we physically get to see each other, and I give a brief update on various areas of the business. It might be where we are from some, you know, some developments, uh, product developments, where we are with, with, our, with our financial numbers, where we are with customer service, or just talking about people or things that I'm up to that week. So I found that that was a really good 
I found it I found it harder than being thinking, what am I going to talk about this morning and doing it every single day and say two years later, I still do it every single day. And I found what what's what's good about that is typically the CEO would bring everyone together every whatever could be every month or every six to eight weeks to say, right, let's give you an update on everything that's happening. I drip feed it every single day. Mm-hmm. So people really get to feel the vibe and the culture of, of how Ticker is, is developing. What we then looked at is, okay, so what's one of the downsides of this remote working? It's onboarding new people. And it's particularly the difficulty in onboarding people who haven't worked in the insurance industry before. Mm-hmm. So I won't go into it. So many things that we did, but we completely revisited our whole onboarding process. We, we dedicated three people on it for about six weeks to really you know, evolve it to where it needed to be. And I think one of the little tactics that we came up with, again, I don't think it's unique. I think a lot of business do this, is that is that when someone new came into the business, we buddied them up with somebody in a completely different department. Because there was always that, I want to ask the silly question, but I'm too embarrassed to do it. But if they were then buddied with somebody from the beginning, they could always ask those embarrassing, stupid questions. I think we then just really focused on the welfare of the people. Um, we brought in um, we brought in a, a psychologist. You know, if, if people have ever seen that Sky TV series Billions, and there's always this woman called Wendy, yeah, yeah, rich yeah. guys, but you know, who was about to make you know make or lose their next billion. We're not in that scenario, but what did we? We brought in our version of Wendy, and and she she would talk to the company, she would talk to the to the group, she would then speak to the exec to teach the exec about, you know, how to get through this. And if we saw, if we observed someone was going into a bit of a dark hole, and of course, there were many people that happened to across all walks of life, but particularly when you've got, when you've got real deep thinkers, you know, engineers or data scientists, sometimes their thoughts can lead the wrong way. So we made a psychologist um, available to them as well on a confidential um, one-to-one basis. I think the benefit that you have in insurtechs as well is if you've structured the business right, every single person in your company is a shareholder. And and when you're in that scenario and the business is growing so quickly and the value of the business, the the value of the business is increasing so much so quickly, you know, it it is is a fantastic way to keep people, keep people in the business and keep them vested in the whole culture and what's happening so we were we recently realized we had a look at you know our our engineers our developers we've never lost a single engineer every single engineer we've ever recruited since day one is still with us today um and i think there's a number of factors that contribute to that but i also think being the way that we've the way that we've looked after people, the way that we focused on them. And, you know, and Alex, you may have seen we, we've reached the, the finals of the, it's the Great British Wellbeing Awards, um, mm. reached the final. Um, for all the things that we did about this, we, we documented it quite a bit. And, um, you know, we're, we'll find out in a couple of months if we won. But, you know, we're, we're alongside big names like Investec, Warner Music, Bank of England, Royal Mail, for all the things that they did to look after their people. So I'm you know, we did it because it was the right thing to do. It wasn't until sort of sort of stepping back in hindsight, speaking to other people, entering all thinking, actually, we, we did a pretty good job during that period. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like it. I'm, I'm particularly interested in the psychologist thing. One, because I love billions and I'd love my own Wendy. I think um, <laughs> on a daily basis, I could probably do that. But um, uh, in fact, I might I might trouble you after this to see if I can get them on because I, I, I think that's a fascinating facet of 
you know, one of the things that comes up time and time and time again when I talk to venture capital firms and, and, and investors of any description is that we talk about money. We always talk about people raising money. And then and then my argument is always, and obviously I've got a sort of very vested interest in this is my world. And you know, when we talk about money, we talk about it in an abstract way. But most of the time, even when we're saying we're going to spend it on engineering, we can spend it on marketing, we can spend it on data science. Actually, what we mean is we're going to hire people to do these things. So it's all about uh, people and and most businesses are fundamentally just the sum of the quality of the people and you know the old adage is if you get an A grade team with a B grade product they're still going to be you know an, an A grade product and a B grade team and, and you know I think it's been having that microscope of the pandemic where we looked at the people that were in our business and and, and thought how lucky we were to have them and how much we need to keep them um there'll be a very there's been very envious glances at your business that you haven't lost an engineer in two years because that's quite <laughs> that's quite something um but look Richard I won't overstay my welcome you've been very very generous with your time um so I wanted to thank you for being a guest um this one's been um you know something I've been looking forward to doing so yeah thank you very much for being a, a guest on the podcast well Alex you're very very welcome and thank you for the opportunity to um, to chat to you today awesome thanks a lot As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.